0: Amen. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Michelle, elders, for again having the privilege of coming in and sharing with this church. And I just love the years that we have had with Greg and Michelle. Um, When we first started off a ministry in South Africa, it was birthed out of their church. They were on a board of directors that we had there. We still do. We have a ministry back there, but one here. But the day. They were an absolute harbor to us at that time of what was happening in our lives and we walking by faith. And it's just been great to have such a rich friendship. Well, I love, as I said, I think Stephen Adrian walked in through the door or someone did as they, they came in to have dinner because they'd gone to their host, come back. And I said, it's like we covered six hours in one hour, you know, just catching up. It just looks like, where we ended off five years ago, we carried on straight away, same sentence. You know, that kind of, Friendship, relationship, and excitement of what God is doing in and through. And I I can see, uh, just early this morning as I was awake, I could hear footsteps up above us walking around, so I knew the time. (laughs) And and just meditating on what God wants to do today in the three services, I I just sensed this, that I knew that when I'd walk in here, I'd sense a, a much greater capacity of ability and anointing and his presence than when we were here five years ago. And that is true. And that is true. That's what you're in. What has been pioneered here through them, you're walking in the blessing of that. To honor God in that is to engage with what's happening, a heartbeat and his pulse, his pulse in this season in the church. Since covid that we have to refer to that as a timeline in life now almost. We have seen more signs and wonders and miracles happening where we have been, and I hear more happening with other leaders too. So it's not just us, but God is doing something. Why? Because I think during COVID we calmed down. All the dust settled of all that fuss and stuff we were doing in local churches and around the world. It was a dust settled and we picked up again Afterwards, finding and choosing reality in a different way. We had sifted out some of the things. I don't know, in my life we did. I, we wrote a couple of books and did another degree. So, you know, it's, the devil's an idiot. He thinks he can shut us down, but actually the ink of a pen talks, you know. Yeah. And so that still happens that he gets another double hit when COVID lifted. But But just what God is doing. And so this morning I want to talk to you. Uh, that sounds lame, I want to impart to you, that sounds more spiritual. <laughs> impart to you some principles around the supernatural, and I think what it is, says, Greg, is from where you are at and what you're sensing in the church Tyler. as well, is what's going on is is projection of what a local church will be doing in the future. The, the last book i written, which came out while we were over here, is called Royal Warrior. It's Regan saying how many leadership conferences books have you read on leadership in your life question have they changed anything answer no what will change something the power of god the miraculous it has a language of its own it has an influence where men's mouths cannot reason things or criticize things it silences them and gets them to go in a certain direction So what kind of leadership will there be in the millennium when Jesus comes back and rules and reigns on earth for a thousand years? He has never changed. He's the same yesterday. So what is he looking for and what kind of leadership will be on earth then? That's the perspective of why I thought, let's try, try and imagine what that would be like. And hence the book has come out. So what are the principles that Jesus has always endorsed, celebrated, honored, and, and spoken about through all the Old and New Testament that he keeps bringing up again and again? Why? Because those are the things he wants us to notice. And here I think is one of the things. And so if we would turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 11, and I think the scriptures are coming up in the New American Standard Bible, I want to talk about revival. And it's a thing that everyone is, I, quite honestly, and the church that Kelly and I are based in in South Africa, Cornerstone in Johannesburg, where we are not elders, but we travel from our home base. 10, 15 years ago, that word revival was not mentioned amongst the eldership. It's like, oh, you're one of those, you know, space cadets. But now, by every sermon, the lead pastor there talks on Revival. So I'm thinking, Hallelujah! So we, we, you know, not that he's changed and I know it all, but, but there's a there's something that is in the air that we want to know, we know, recognize endorse, and want to endorse and want to see happen. And so Jesus, the time he stood up and re, read Luke 4:18, revival, New Testament version started with him. And we say, yes, Jesus brought revival. Book of Acts is a continuation of that. Because wherever they went, they turned towns upside down. And those that have done that are coming here also. Jason, thank you for having him in your house. But hang on, we want to arrest you because this shouldn't happen. You're challenging the local status quo protocol, government mindset of society. You have another king and you talk about another kingdom. And that is a confrontational message to this day in life. But Jesus perpetuated and he wants it. He refers to kingdom more times in the New Testament than he does to the word church. This is thy kingdom come, not church come. But then through the agency of the church, the kingdom is released horizontally by vertical revelation of who he is. When we get the vertical revelation, we then have a perfectly understanding of the horizontal mission. Unfortunately, church tries to define horizontal mission and suddenly think, oh my gosh, we, we do have a vertical responsibility too. And that doesn't work because this is second. But here, imagine, well, let me read Luke 7:11. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd, three groups of people. Soon afterwards, after what? Well, in Luke 7, there are, there are a number of things that happened. First of all, there was a centurion, which is above. And that is so powerful because it defines authority. The centurion says, uh, Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. For I too am a man under authority. Therefore, just say the word. Jesus called that great faith. Military mindset of authority is called faith. And he took a centurion to illustrate that. When there's authority, there is then power. When you walk under authority, you can exercise power. When the church fully comes under, knowing who is of authority, this has full authority, you can then exercise the power, the signs and wonders of God. The next thing that happens is Nate, which we're talking to. The next one is John the Baptist. Hey, you guys, you came to tell, ask questions about whether I'm the one that was to come or should we look for another? Jesus says, sit down front row here while you've got special seats, watch the meeting. Signs and wonders happen. He says, by the way, just go back and tell John what you've both heard and seen. I am the one. The next encounter is a woman that broken through the wall, in the men's meeting, fraternal meeting, you know, leadership meeting. She comes in and falls at his feet, and she gets everything Jesus has. They still had questions, not engaging. She walks out with a perfume scent upon herself, because she released the anointing in the room by simply worshiping him. They didn't. They wanted to criticize him, but she walked out scented. <laughs> the presence of God. I can smell the presence of God. Imagine that, this lady walking down the street who was a prophet. So, so those four things happen. And so that's why it says, soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain. Verse 12, and as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When Jesus saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, awaken, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all and they began to glorify God and saying a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. The words visited his people means revival. This report concerning him went out all over Judea and all the surrounding districts. So there are about seven verses. Let's go through those. First point, he went to a city called Nain. It's a name, Nain. It's like a no name, name because it's the only time it's mentioned in the Bible. kind of disappears under the sand of archaeological experience. His disciples were going along with him. Being a disciple of Jesus, oh my gosh. In those days, he was not often in a synagogue. He wasn't often following the Pharisee protocol. Most of his church was outdoors. They are going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Who were they? Inquisitive people, inquirers. Hey, we follow this Jesus guy. He does things so wild and weird. He's real entertainment. Come, let's follow him. So you've got these two crowds, Jesus in front, his disciples, and you can imagine who they were. Thomas always at the back questioning what's going on. Peter always trying to be in the front like the smelly fisherman trying to be the head usher, you know, the gate opener. John, the one that's always cooing and crowing around his heart. And you get all the other disciples, all different tax collectors, doctors, Luke, wondering how the world someone got raised from the dead and is trying to work it out in his medical practice. How does this happen? The tax collector thinking, hey, Jesus, if you had done it, we could have made a fortune. What are you doing? Let's just get this down to paying for healing. You understand? So all these things Jesus is dealing with, but he's focused on one thing. He approached the gate of a city, an entrance and exit of a city. A dead man was being carried out. What was going on in the city? You know, you're walking down the road. You're quite a long distance from the centurion encounter. You're heading out to someplace, It's time to find a bed and breakfast. They think, hey, there's Nate. Let's go in there. Uh, hold it. There's a corpse coming out. Hey, that's not a safe place to stay. Being carried out. The only son of his mother it tells a little bit about the family. The only son of his mother, one child, he's dead. What has she got to live for? What's the hope? Is she ever going to have grandchildren? No. And she was a widow. She has no husband. It gets worse. And the sizable crowd from the city was with her. Another crowd. What is this encounter? It's darkness and light about to encounter, have a head-on collision outside a city. So when you look at the widow, she describes about every situation that can happen inside a city. Where after the funeral, she's going to go home, sit down. I don't know what she's going to do. Describes and defines humanity today. And it is a sad situation. But there's hope. That's the thing. When, verse 13, the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. That is the absolute key. When. It's, not, it's when he saw. Imagine this. They're coming over a hill. Jesus and his disciples all talking about faith in the centurion. And oh my gosh, isn't that amazing? The, the servant got up and he wasn't even there. He spoke a word and the servant wasn't even hearing it, but he got up. I mean, what is this that Jesus is doing? It's totally supernatural. And Jesus says, that's what I came for. You've seen me, you've seen my dad. I only say what he does now. He, do what he does. And if you want to be like me, I'm sending you just now because everything that he's done with me, I'm empowering the church to do. So it's a whole lesson. So everything that happens with Jesus, we can do the same as he does. When we mimic the king, we'll have the king's manifestations. So he felt compassion for her. It's not feeling sorry for someone. Honest, I've always said this. Compassion is the riverbed of the supernatural. Sympathy isn't. It's an emotion. Sympathy is I feel for you and you do nothing. Compassion means I, I, it's, it's when divine love comes into action. And divine love is not inactive. It is always active. It will cause you to do and be something that you're not naturally supposed to be or do. In other words, you'll go and raise the dead because compassion overcomes you. When you see with compassion, it's God's divine love coming. It's seeing beyond. It's seeing what God sees. Whenever Jesus moved in compassion, stuff happened. Here's the key for us. The church with compassion will always have the presence of God. You'll be so attractive to the Holy Spirit. He can't wait to be working through you. He's so looking forward to a copper wire so that the electrical current of the presence or the power of God can flow through you. You are the electrical wire. You are the conductor of his power from heaven. I'll talk more on that tonight. The supernatural happens. He felt compassion for her. He goes, he looks, he sees the priest out front leading the funeral. He sees the coffin carried by four guys. He sees the widow right next to the coffin. And those that are closest to her, which are not many, are there with her. And then the mourners behind. That's the procession. Jesus, he's the life from the front. He's the light. The learners, the interns, the new, becoming future leadership that we read about in the epistles is there, and then the guys on the back who catch up later. Jesus sees her first. He knows what's going on. He sees her. He looks on the one that needs to be touched, and that's how the attitude of the church is: is to see the ones who need to be touched. He walks straight up to her. He's a carpenter, no shoes one tunic. He's not dressed in black. He's not following their protocol. He's not following their procession. He ignores the guy in the front who is the leader of that situation. He is in front walking to the grave. He walks straight up to her and he says to her, do not weep. Now imagine that. You lost somebody, you want to weep. But he comes up and he says the exact opposite to what she's feeling. Because Jesus knows something exactly opposite to what you think is happening is going to happen. You can be diagnosed, like Adrian is saying, with a lump of sarcoma and it could be this and that and it's going to spread your lymphatic system you need to operate, cut out all the... and you've got so many months left to live. Guess what? That's the natural. But Jesus will come up and say, don't weep. Yeah. Don't cry about it because you don't need to waste tears on that. Now, those tears will be tears of joy just now. Because that's going to go away because that's what I do. That's what I'm a, I'm the royal physician. I'm the professional. I am the healer, the Lord that healeth thee. And so he walks up and he says, Do not weep. You imagine how she does. Who are you? You're not even invited to this moment. You're so callous. You're so insensitive. You guess what, you know, when someone doesn't know Jesus and you come and tell them about Jesus, that's sometimes the reactions they give you. Insensitive. What do you think you're saying? He came up, next thing he says, do not weep. And then he turns around and he comes up and he touches the coffin. He doesn't talk to the coffin bearers. Hold it, boys, we're going to do something here. Just just hang on. Now he walks up and he grabs a box and they stop. I love that. So, so he touches the box. That box becomes electrified, as it were, with the anointing and the power of God. The creator who caused the trees to grow, he touches a bit of it. And they get the, they they halfway through walking and they come to a halt because he grabs the box. Hold on to that. Then he say, he leans over it and talks six words to him. Young man, I say to you, do you think he heard those words? He's dead. Here's nothing, nothing going on in here. No operation of the natural ear, but he still talks to the dead. And he says one word, arise, which is the word awaken, which means come back to life. In other words, come out of sleep, awaken. And the young man hears that word, the one that's important to him. And thank God, as you know, Jesus said, young man, otherwise a whole graveyard would have come alive. But he was the only young one there. And he says, arise. He sits up and he begins to talk. What would he have said? Uh, Where have you been? What's it like? He gets up. He starts talking, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Guess who's in control there? Gives him back to his mother. Everyone that Jesus, everywhere there's a dead race in the Bible, mothers are always involved. And he always seems to give them back to the mother, even in the Old Testament with Elijah and Elisha. Gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, I want to read another version of that. It says they all realized they were in a place of holy mystery. That God was at work among them. They were quietly worshipful and then noisily grateful, calling out among themselves, God is back. Look to the knee, looking to the needs of his people. The news of Jesus spread through all the countryside. That's the message Bible. So here we find a number of things happening. So what are the what are the important things that we need? Revival leads to an awakening. People's individual hearts, your hearts, can have a revival in it. Revival begins when people suddenly see the Word of God, get the revelation of that Word in their lives, where they suddenly see what God is saying and participate in what He is saying and do what He is saying. You become revived. What is awakening? Awakening means you're breathing, but you're asleep. Oh, but I go to church. I go to life group. I go to worship. I... But are you awakened? See, there's a realm of expectancy that's greater than what we're walking in. There's an expectancy of God's presence and our response to it, not only on Sundays or midweek, but 24-7. But Sundays is when we celebrate that presence, like today, in a greater way. There's something more. I was wounded in a war zone in Mozambique, 74 of us taking on 5,000 terrorists. It's recorded, the Marines are taught this whole thing. I was the worst wounded soldier in that encounter. It was deceptive, it was, I don't want to go into detail, it was terrifying, thinking that I'd never come home to Cali. Men 5,000 chanting this close to me, right here, 5,000. When 5,000 come around you and you're in the vehicle and you've got machine guns and everything and you're waiting for a command and when plan A doesn't work, plan B has to work. Otherwise, you don't come home. Plan B was engage, pull trigger, hold the gate open and let the magazine empty, new one. And of course, point blank, you can imagine what happens. In the middle of this, I get a bullet through my legs, went through both legs, in here, out through my thigh leg. It was an RPD, the, the machine gun version of an ak 47 but when that happened, I remembered what I'd promised myself as a young boy because my father was faithful in reading the word of God to my sister and I. I felt death come. Death is not far off. It's closer than you think. And you know when it's happening. But the key is do you know where you're going afterwards? At that moment in that war zone, very descriptive I can get into, but I'm not. Nice. But in that moment, I cried out, shouted with my heart, God, if you want my life, you can have it. The Bible says, whosoever, and I was one of those whosoevers, calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved, healed, and delivered. All three things. All three things happened, body, soul, and spirit. In that place, and the reason I'm sharing this with you because it changed my life, our lives completely. In that moment where there's violence, war, murder, Killing, whatever you want to go into, say, well, that's murder. You shouldn't do. God doesn't honor. We're under command and we have to obey. And it was terrorism, which is a coward's war completely. Total coward's war. We were in there. I get wounded. I call out to God. This is the thing. And he answers that prayer in that situation. He shows up with a bright light around me. I sensed his presence. What I felt in pain disappeared. What I felt in anxiety, stress, and terror disappeared. I felt an authority that I could easily submit to and I recognized as that somehow is God and He's showing up for me in this situation. God, who are you that would show up when there's no choirs, wonderful music, Smoke machines and all the rest that we try and bring a sense of God's presence. But in a war zone, he shows up. My message to you is, I don't know what you're going through, like Greg was sharing this morning. Don't know what pain you're going through. The message is, don't weep. He can change it. That caught my attention. Where judgment should be greater towards us or whoever, mercy triumphed over that judgment. And in that mercy, I understood what compassion means. His compassion towards us, towards me at that moment. That I lived. He didn't take my life. He says, I'm giving it back to you. question is, as one man said, so Kia, what are you going to do with your life? Uh, I'm studying to become a doctor. No, I think I'm going to serve him. 24 hours, I lost the desire to continue with medicine. And I had the desire to serve God. And here we are 40 odd years later. He didn't take my life. He gave it back. You see, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what chaos as children that you've been through. But that pain, he can terminate and bring life. So I know he's a God who can do more than he can ever think. The thing is, do we receive that? That's one of the things. 95% of ministry is getting you ready to receive what He has already given you. It's there. You just have to take it. It's mine. I receive it now. That's it. We need to get the brain out of the way and get the heart engaged. The brain will catch up later. But you receive it by faith happens here, not here. This is reason and education. This is, this is revelation and empower. God touches us. You see, that's what Jesus was doing here. And so the first thing, revival begins with a community of compassion or faith. A church full of compassion or faith would be attractive to the presence of God and it will change your community. It begins with that. Heaven flows with those who have it or go. Compassion is not something that you pray or fast for. Compassion cannot come by laying on of hands. Compassion comes when you see humanity in the place that it should not be, where people are destitute and dying, where they shouldn't have that, God says, no, that's not how it should be, but you're the nearest one there. And are you qualified? Have you got this, done that? You know, God will use the most nearest vehicle possible to bring change. Second point is, he said to her, do not weep. Revival has a voice into a condition opposite of what's going on. has a voice, it is a voice it is a declaration he comes up and ignores everything says do not weep, thirdly revival is a voice in the wilderness like John the Baptist John the Baptist, I love you says John 1.23 says I am the voice, I'm not a voice, I am the voice, you want to know who I am who sent me, what protocol whose authority I come under what synagogue seminar I was trained at and who's my bloodline, he says I don't care about that I know I have a mandate, God's given me a call, He's set me in a place, therefore I'm going to speak the way He wants me to and I don't care what other people think or what the way I should say it, whether it's politically correct or offend every other alphabet people or librarian people or whatever it is, I am going to speak the word of truth. That's what revival does. It confronts this present situation even violently because He is of violent purpose. because that's how those who want the kingdom suffer violence, and you get it. They take it. Take it. You take it. You need to be some takers. You can get excited if you like. You need to be some takers here. Instead of being asleep, oh, home, we come to church, we go home, and you can do that for 20 years, and you've never changed. Guess what? You're fast asleep. Awakening is you sit up and you begin to talk. What do you say? I don't know, but you begin to talk. <laughs> Bang! Because there's an encounter with God. Something shook the hell out of him and got heaven into him. When light confronts the darkness of death, that's what happens. This world is waiting for some people to come a little bit more less structured and more active. Can I have permission to share the word? No, I'm sharing the word. Hey, you guys listen to me. Bang, you share the word. Well, you know, I might get fired. Well, you're on fire, so. (laughs) (laughs) He comes up to the coffin, the container, the vehicle of what's happening. Revival does not need a protocol or an introduction. Jesus did not need a protocol. Excuse me, priest. Can I say something? Who are you? Where are you from? Oh, excuse me, you're not dressed for the situation. Please just go and put on nicer clothes. <coughs> put on some nicer shoes. Uh, hey, you haven't got shoes. Oh, well, you know what? We, we don't allow people like that because we don't understand you. You're a threat to our religious understanding. You can't sit front row. You have to sit at the back and we'll give you some scones and tea off, biscuits and tea afterwards. You know that kind of attitude? She's like, you're a threat to us because we challenge and you smell, you smell like fish you're hanging out with. Jesus just walks straight up to the one that's really needing a touch and says the opposite of what she's feeling. See, revival says the opposite. It's not polite. It's not orderly. It's wild. It's a voice. It's radical. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I the religious people want a quiet voice protocol, but the unsaved don't understand that. They've never been there. They've never expressed the tangible presence and love of God. I was in Mozambique on the main highway, the EN1, which is like a state highway, turned off a bush, went into the bush, found a pastor that was going to meet us. We're about 15, uh, say, say 20, 15 miles, probably 30 kilometers into the bush, off the beaten track, following paths, four by four. Stop, find a huge tree, and the church was meeting under that tree. So the first night, open air, few gas lamps, car headlights shining in a direction, Everyone's sitting on chairs. I see a cripple, uh, sorry, I see three cripples walking, old men, that followed each other like three blind mice you know they went and sat down and i thought ah eyes on target you know when you want to confront an enemy you look at the the weakest link that he thinks he has he thinks he's got a stronghold but actually it's his weakest link talking military terms so i look at these guys i say oh my gosh god's going to heal them tonight i just know that so I call him up and I said, Give me a walking stick, walk with me. And I'm talking to him in English. He's Shangan, he speaks a different language, but I assume he, he has English because you. And he was, he was responding. So I walk him up and down, and finally I let go of him, and he's walking next to me, and he hasn't got a walking stick. And then suddenly the revelation hits him. He turns around, and he suddenly goes, Hi! And he starts running. As he's suddenly got the revelation that in the action, in the process of putting faith into action, he's healed. The other two guys didn't need an invitation. They got up with their sticks, put their sticks down next to the other guy's sticks, turned around and started walking and they were all three running up and down. Guess what happened? But what amazed me was these were old men living in that country, very close to highway to where churches were. But they said to me, we have never heard about this man, Jesus, that you talk about. We've heard other stuff, but we've never known Jesus. See, that's what I mean. There's a voice. There's a voice. Revival is supernatural is a supernatural invasion into a natural world, which is pretty much what happened there. over the hill, going out the city, a supernatural invasion. It doesn't need an invitation. You carry revival in your hearts. When you love the Word of God, that you can't wait to read it again and get freshness out of it. Like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before in that scripture. I've read it a hundred times, but today something illuminated. Guess what? The eyes of your heart are open. It's called revival. It's called revelation. When revelation comes, it causes a hunger in your heart. What is revelation when it comes to you? It's the father saying to you, son and daughter, I trust you enough to give you a little bit more of who I am to you. You need to have children, or I don't give them an AR-15 and they're 10. Because the dog will probably die quickly because he wants to target practice. No. You don't do that. But, but when you mature and you begin to grow and learn and want to know more, you hang around dad long enough and he trusts you and he gives you more. So what revival is about. I think Kelly and I have carried this revival in our hearts, our own revival, I don't know how long. People say, why why are you so excited still? <coughs> Excuse me. Why are you so on fire for God? Are you thinking of retiring? Are you thinking of slowing down, becoming a mum and dad in a local church where you sit in a rocking chair and people come and ask questions? <laughs> Help us, Lord. <laughs> no, not going to happen. Revival is a supernatural invasion into the natural. Revival liberates when death dominates. When death seems to dominate, when the news that you have seems to dominate, it's the mountain that you need to speak to be cast into the sea. But do not doubt in your heart, but speak to that which you say will come to pass. It shall happen. That thing, it dominates. It liberates when death dominates. The bearers became paralytic. It, it arrests the progress of persons. It's an impartation. It's calling those things that are not as if they are, because Jesus grabbed that and He says, "I'm not talking to the corpse. I'm talking beyond the corpse. I'm talking to those things which are not seen. I'm talking to that which is unseen, and I'm calling what's unseen to be seen, because life's going to come back." And guess that's exactly. It. See, that's that's church. That's how the church operates. It's not limited by natural. We're not determined by natural. It's supernatural. It's above and beyond. How do you raise the dead? Super. Oh my gosh, natural. Because that thing is terminated, like we say in Zulu, in the valili manji. Every the lights are out. You know, switch off. It's gone. Nothing. Nothing's going to respond. But yet you talk. Why? You're crazy. Have, you, have any of you done that? Talk to a corpse. You're crazy. Absolutely. Mad for God. And when the corpse gets up, guess who's more shocked? The corpse or you? (laughs) You. Revival grips the coffins of life. Have I said that? It grips the coffins of life. Revival is a voice that addresses the issues and paralyzes the progress of the potential that is housed by a coffin. You see, the coffin is the structure but Jesus talks to what's in the structure. He doesn't challenge those carrying the structure. He doesn't challenge those that are involved. He wants to get to the core of the issue because the core of the issue will speak to the structure. It will release the structure. It will terminate the structure. It will remove those that carry it and are paid to carry it. When it comes to government situations like in our country, South Africa, there's so much bribery and corruption that we don't have electricity. We have to worry about that. Now it's water and then somehow the fuel's going to go. So we, we're facing it. But who's doing it? It's the government. So what do we do? You address the issues, the very core of it. You address what's inside, the reason why it exists and those that are paid to carry what exists. But that what exists has a limited lifespan because when you talk to the thing inside, when you talk to the issue of a person's heart, when you carry sickness and disease, you don't stroke the sickness and disease or the pain that people are going through. You talk to the issue that causes the pain. That's why he says, do not weep because I'm addressing the thing that will cause you to weep and you're not going to weep because that's what's causing you to weep. It's not going to be weepable anymore. There's such a word as that. So awakening addresses those things. So we say, you know what, we're so bad, things are going bad. I don't know what's going on in America, but we've been traveling. But there's a hunger and a thirst for truth. The only thing that sets a city free is truth. It's the only power that has the ability to set people free is truth. Truth is in the judgment seat. Because everyone's wondering what truth is and no one really has the answer. Take the issue of male and female. I'll move right on from there. (laughs) Revival has a message that will pierce the putrefaction of present life, raise it to radical reality by a revelation of Jesus. I love those. It's kind of flowery. Revival has a message that will pierce the putrefaction of present life. That which doesn't produce life. It addresses death but brings life. Raises it to a radical reality by a revelation of Jesus. He stood up, first person he sat up, first person he saw was Jesus. Guess what happened? Something changed. When I was a young boy, growing up at school in Previously, Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. A friend, Martin, I remember his name, Martin King. We lived quite close to each other. And um, he had a pet mongoose. And when it's small, it's cute. It, it, it's an upgrade rat, you know. <laughs> so this thing lived in his home and I'd go and visit him because we would love throwing grasshoppers. It's a carnivorous animal. It doesn't eat nuts. It's not a squirrel. We are throwing grasshoppers and things to it and we watch it catch these things and crunch it away in its mouth, all excited, and it would rove around the house. It would chase any moth or insect buzzing around the lights. This thing grew. It started biting and it was quite sore. So we realized this is time that this mongoose has to be taken to the field. Push pause. You go to a pet shop, any pet shop, you find in that pet shop right near the window Cute little puppies, cute baby mice, cute little rabbits. Why? Because they want to attract the kids. The kids will take the parents in, and guess what? Feeling all cute and fluffy, the mum will buy a pet. But when they sell you the pet, they'll sell the pet with the pellets and the, inf- the food bowl and this thing in different colors and different levels. And here's a, a cage maybe you need for it. And they sell you all the other peripheral stuff that that thing needs when it lives in your home. Come back to the mongoose. Imagine a mongoose in a pet shop in a cage. Now this, maybe there is one there. This mongoose is in the cage, but it's got its its cereal boxes, its food all lined up. And so when you take it, you have its food. So translate that into possible a church in Africa. When you come, you get fed. You get told what to do. You live in a cage. You live in certain issues. This is what you need, this is what you are fed on. But this mongoose is not born to be in a cage. I spoke in New Zealand at an equip, and I was going to bring this illustration. So I went onto YouTube and I've said, cage, cobra, mongoose. Mongoose is in a cage, the cobra is put in the cage, and the mongoose knows what's in there. And that mongoose is hit twice by that cobra before the mongoose could do anything. Why? Because it was in a limited arena. It was not in its natural environment. Take the mongoose and the cobra out in the open field, that, that, that cobra does not last because that mongoose is in its environment. Getting back to the pet shop, that mongoose was in the wrong environment. It's going to be a pain on you because you have to feed it and it never gets to its full potential. Coming back to this friendly mongoose of Martin's, we took it to the field, we let it go, and it ran out into the field, and it became truly a genuine snake killer out there. That's what it was born to be. It was to do the work, destroy the work of the devil, the serpent. We are carnivorous. We are like monkeys. We need to be stop being squirrels and become monkeys. We need to get out the cage of our mentality and thinking and become active out there to destroy the work of the devil, wherever we are, wherever we can, in whatever environment we're in. The only limitation on a mongoose in the wild is the game warden in a national park. There's a boundary. It could be what it wants in that boundary. You can be what you want in your community. There's a game warden. His job is to do two things. Stop uh, poachers coming in and destroying what's living in the game park. Sheep in wolves' clothing, that's the the shepherd. He's like a shepherd. But he's also to remove rogues, take rogues out that are dangerous to others. That's all, that's the limitation for a mongoose. In the meantime, they hunt in packs and they destroy the enemy. See, Jesus had his troop. He was like the mongoose. He was destroying the work of the devil by casting death out of that young man so that life could come. What happened to the, to the city of Nain? We don't know what happened to Nain, but we do know that when they went back into that city, what left second after the priest, what religion could not do, this dead corpse went second, but coming back, the live, healthy boy came in first and the priest came in last, but there was a celebration with a mother. Revival hit that town. See, it's not told there, but Nain was changed by one encounter with Jesus. One encounter. That's the power of His love and His mercy to us. Our encouragement is to try and get to those places of what God wants us to be and to do. Most often we say to ourselves, and I'm not qualified. I don't know enough, We led a home soul. Three weeks saved. I preached my first crusade when I buried a soldier who was shot and killed in the war. Three months later, load his body into the ground. The Lord says, they think he's in the ground here, but go and tell this town that he's not. He's here with me in heaven. Because I led him to the Lord the day before he got hit by a bullet in the head. So I did. I went and set up a meeting. I'd never preached before. You see, you just need an excuse Did I know what I was doing? Not really. But people got healed. They got saved. Something ignited inside of us. Something ignited inside of us.